So I am going to do something I have never, ever done before. All right? You're going to get a whole new Pastor Matthew this morning. I usually, uh, my, my preaching style is usually, they call it topical, all right? I'm one of those guys that, you know, I feel like the Lord kind of puts a topic on my mind, and, and I go and find all these scriptures that kind of go along with that topic, or a story, or something like that. But I feel that the Lord has uh, prompted me that we are actually going to go through the book of Romans this uh, month together. It's something I've never done. I've never gone through a whole book. Uh, you know, I've never kind of pulled the book apart and looked at it and dissected it and all those things. I've, I've heard the great Chuck Smith. Any of you guys are familiar with Pastor Chuck Smith, the, the, the late, great Chuck Smith? Yeah, that guy was amazing. He would, he, that guy's gone through the Bible so many times and taught and preached and, and just done such a great job. But I really, really felt that the Lord was saying that I want you as a church... I want you to look through and go through the book of Romans. And if you are unfamiliar with the book of Romans, the book of Romans was written by the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, who uh, his conversion happened, you know, unlike most, but Paul actually was an enemy of the early church. He was an enemy of God's people. You know, Jesus had come and and, and Jesus had died and resurrected and he was ascended back into heaven and he just, you know, the Holy Spirit came upon the, the first church and uh, in the upper room and, and, and now the church is, is moving. These, these men and these women now empowered by the Holy Spirit are going out and they are sharing the good news. They are sharing the good news that, hey, guess what, you guys? Jesus has come. He has died on a cross for your sins. All you have to do is believe in him to be saved. They're going and they're proclaiming this everywhere. And people are, are coming to the Lord and people are, are, are accepting Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. But then there's this guy, Paul. All right, His name was Saul at first. This guy, Saul, he was a, a Jew among Jews. He was, you know, he knew the Old Testament backwards and forwards. He was someone who was so zealous for his culture, so zealous for God, that he actually was persecuting and actually part of killing Christians. You guys remember the story of Stephen. Stephen was one of the first you know, uh, apostles out there who was out there preaching, and he was out there getting people saved, and man, they took care of him quickly, and they had him stoned. Saul was there. Saul was a part of that. So here's Saul. He's on, he's on this road, and he's, and, he's, and he's heading out, and he's on. he is looking for more Christians. And literally, Jesus shows up in this bright light. It blinds him, and he speaks to him, and he says, Why are you persecuting me? And then we all know the story, Paul you know, Saul, you know, immediately falls and, and, he's, and he's trying to figure out what happened and nobody else can see, but, but he hears this voice. And we know later that he goes and, and he, he gets healed of his, of his sight. And it's interesting that God blinds him because he was spiritually blinded. See, he was zealous for God, but he didn't know who God was. He was, he was a, you know, a Jew of all Jews, and he was out there, and he was, he was doing the work, 
but he didn't have relationship. He was blind to what God was actually doing. That he had already sent the Messiah. That the Messiah was named Jesus. So Saul becomes Paul. And Paul becomes one of the great apostles. And, and in fact, not, not only did, does he go from you know, persecuting the church, but he goes and he builds the church like no one else. And one of the things Paul would do is he would encourage the churches that were, were starting up and he would, he would write these letters. And so, so Paul hears about, he had actually never ever attended this church yet when he, when he pins this letter, but he hears about this church in Rome. He hears about the great things that this church is doing and he goes, man, this sounds like a church after my own heart. This sounds like they are doing great things. There's great things coming out of that church. I need to write to them. I need to let them know, hey, I'm so proud to hear what you guys are doing. Most likely, this church that Paul would be writing to was a a church that, if we go all the way back to uh, that day at Pentecost, when, you know, all were filled with the Holy Spirit, and Peter goes out and he gives the great message, and many come to Christ, there had to have been some of those Jews that were there who had gotten saved, who had accepted Jesus, who had, you know, gone back to Rome and helped start that church in Rome. And what's crazy was they didn't have Bibles like we did. They didn't have, every single person didn't have their own Bible. They, they relied on these letters. They relied on, on you know, the, the early apostles, you know, uh, writing down their account of Jesus, Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. And, and you know, they were counting on these letters that were being passed around. And so Paul starts writing these letters and he's encouraging them. He's exhorting them. He's, he's also wanting to keep the churches on the, the straight and narrow because it was very, very easy for them to want to kind of incorporate their culture around them into, into who they were and into being Christians. And to be honest, some of you, some of them, were, they were getting off. Some of them didn't understand quite you know, correctly. So they were really, really trying to encourage the churches. And it's interesting, when I was looking through the book of Romans... You would, you would think that Paul was writing this letter for us today. Because I don't know about you, but I start looking at the world around me. I start looking at the church around me. And I see, oh my, we are back. We are back in, you know, where Paul is writing and where he's telling them, hey guys, sin is sin. Jesus is Lord, you know, and, and I'm seeing in the church where the gray areas are, are not only getting grayer, but, but they're getting, they're expanding wider. And it just seems like, well, you, you be who, who, who God created you, know, you to be. You do what you want, whatever it is that is. But, but, you know, all roads lead to God, right? All roads lead to God. And you just do and act and, and say whatever it is that you want to say and just trust that, you know, all roads lead to God. That is not true. That is not true. In fact, the Bible says, you know, wide is the gate, right? Wide is the road that that, that leads to destruction. Narrow, narrow is the gate that leads to salvation. What does that mean? Well, that means there's probably more people who are choosing one way that that is the wrong way than actually choosing the right road. 
I want, as a church, to read through the book of Romans this month. All right? It is an amazing book. It is a hard-hitting book. Paul does not mince words. Okay? Paul does not candy-coat the Bible, the gospel. Paul does not, his intent isn't to just make you feel good today. Paul comes at you, but Paul, if there's one thing that he leaves you, is that there is faith, that through your faith, you can be saved. That not by works, there's nothing that you can do. And I want as a church, and here's what I'm asking you to do, okay? I know all of you have got smartphones, you know, some of you still bring your Bibles and things like that. We, as a church, are going to read through the book of Romans, because I am not going to be able to do a word for word, uh, you know, every Sunday. I'm going to hit the highlights. I'm going to kind of pull out some of the, the, the good stuff that Paul talks about, you know, and I'm going to expound on some of those things. But here's what I'm asking you to do. Will you make this month, will you make Romans the book that you're going to read through? All right. Will you just say, you know what, I'm going to, whether it's a chapter a day or, or what it is, but, you know, I'm going to try. And, and so today we're going to look at the first three chapters, Romans chapter one, two, and three, because they're kind of, they're a, it's a good meaty, it's a good start. Paul basically says, hey, I've got some good news and I got some bad news. What do you want first? Right? What do you want first? And he kind of, Paul kind of starts off with the bad news. All right? Give, it, give me the bad news first. What's the bad news? Are you ready for it? So let's start. If you guys wouldn't mind opening up your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. And we're going to start right at the top. Romans chapter 1. By the way, you guys can be very, very honest with me. Pastor Matthew, you are not a great verse-by-verse -verse preacher. You stick to your topical stuff, and I'm like, all right, I'll do that. Uh, you let me know. And also, the other thing, if you guys have questions about the book of Romans, write them down. We've got some great, great scholars at our church. We've got some great men and women of God at our church who love, you know, answering these types of questions. So if you write them down... If you email them to us, you know, uh, Matthew at City Church BP, I promise we will try to answer all of your questions, okay? So don't feel like, oh, I don't get that. I don't want anybody saying, I don't get that. I want your questions answered because this is really, really good stuff. Romans chapter 1. Greetings from Paul. This letter is from Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus chosen by God to be an apostle and sent out to preach his good news. So Paul's starting and he's obviously introducing himself. And you'll see in many of Paul's letters, he kind of starts off a few different ways. He, you know, a slave of Christ, a bond servant of Christ. I, one of my favorite introductions is Paul would introduce himself. He would call himself chief of sinners. Chief. Hey, out of all you guys, I'm the worst, Paul would say. I've done awful, awful things. So when I write to you and I'm encouraging you or I'm correcting you, just know I'm a sinner just like you. And me, 
Matthew Augusto, who stand here before you, just know that when I'm encouraging you and I'm teaching you and I'm correcting you, chief of sinners, chief of sinners. And this letter is from Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, chosen by God to be an apostle and sent out to preach his good news. God promised this good news long through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. The good news is about his son. In his earthly life, he was born into King David's family line, and he was shown to be the Son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Through Christ, God has given us the privilege and the authority as apostles to tell Gentiles everywhere what God has done for them. So they will believe and obey him, bringing glory to his name. And you, you, born apart, are included among those Gentiles who have been called to belong to Jesus Christ. I am writing to all of you in Rome and in Buena Park who are loved by God and are called to be his own holy people. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. He goes right for it. Hey guys, this is what it's all about. It's about Jesus. And by the way, there's, you know, he's speaking to Jews too. There's a lot of Jews in the early uh, in the early church, and he's, he's letting them know, listen, we're talking about the Messiah here. He was long talked about in our, what we would call the Old Testament, but in our, in our prophets, right? In our old books, in our old, everything that you believe, everything that Paul would have ever studied, Jesus was talked about in there. This is the promise. And he was shown to be the Son of God because what did he do? He rose from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. That is key to understand because Jesus is who he says that he is. Let's look at verse 16. I love this. Paul says, For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work saving everyone who believes. The Jew first and also the Gentile. By the way, you guys, if you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile, okay? Just in case you didn't understand or didn't know, if you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. That's all of us, all right? In fact, I'm Italian, which means I'm probably some kind of Roman crazy guy. Yeah. But we're mostly all Gentiles in here, unless there's a couple uh, of you who are Jews. But... Uh, start back in verse 17. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This he accomplished from start to finish by faith, as the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. I don't know about you. I'm going to be very, very honest with you. Sometimes I am a little ashamed of being a Christian. All right, I'm just going to be very, very honest and very, very real. I have been in public settings and I have heard people, you know, talking about their view and their this. And there's been times that I've just out of being afraid of what people were going to think of me. With uh, being afraid of being the only person in the room that had a different viewpoint. You know, being the only person on Facebook that, that, that seems to believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. I'm going to be very honest with you. There are times that I feel a little ashamed of being a, a Christian. And why? 
Why do I feel that way? Paul says, for I am not ashamed because the good news, it brings life. It brings life. And if that means that I'm the only person over here waving my flag and I'm the only person that looks like an idiot, looks like the crazy guy, then so be it. Then so be it because the words that I have to tell you, they are life-giving, Paul says. The words that I have to preach are life-giving. There's a lot of people in this world today that think what they got to say is worth something. And to be honest with you, 90% of it is worth nada, zip, zilch. It's just talk. Talk, 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 talk. You can watch the news and just hear people talk, 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 talk about nothing. None of it is life-giving. None of it. But Paul says, what I have to tell you, I am not ashamed about. I do not care what you think of me. I don't care if you, you know, ostracize me. I don't care if you kick me out. I don't care what you do to me because what I have to tell you is life-giving. Amen? For I am not ashamed. For I am not ashamed. Lord, my prayer is that I would not be ashamed anymore. That when I'm in public or wherever I am, that I would not be ashamed to proclaim your good news. Faith, you guys, is what makes us righteous. Faith. There's nothing you have to do except believe. Belief, you guys. Belief into every situation in your life. Belief that Jesus Christ is Lord. That is the gospel. That is what Paul is telling you. And by the way, Paul came his part came out of a religion where there was a lot of you had to do this, you got to do that, you got to do this, you got to do that. Rules, 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 laws, laws, laws. And Paul is saying, guess what, people? All you have to do is believe. It is your faith. Faith is what makes us righteous. All right, Romans 2. Woo, we did it, Romans 1. Yeah. <laughs> Romans 2. How am I doing? We're still on the bad news, guys, by the way. We're not to the good news yet. Romans 2, verse 1. You may think you can condemn such people, but you are just as bad, and you have no excuse. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you are condemning yourself. For you who judge others do these very same things. And we know that God in his justice will punish anyone who does such things. Since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same things? Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? Remember, Paul's talking to the church, right? He's talking to Christians. And it was in, in this, you know, imagine Rome. Sin is everywhere. It's abundant. I mean, idolatry, right? Perversion. Everything was out there. And people were free to do whatever they wanted to do. And, and there was... 
probably something in their hearts that was starting to turn and say, hey, we're better than all these people. We're better than them. You know, they were starting to condemn them. They were starting, their hearts were starting to become hardened to the world. And by the way, it's very easy to do. It's very easy to look at my neighbor down the street and think, oh man, that guy's a sinner. That guy's got problems. That guy's a drunk. That guy's an alcoholic. And instead of having a soft heart to them, and instead of saying, you know what, but that person needs Jesus, and I need to go, and I need to build relationship with that person, we start to isolate ourselves from the world. And Paul was saying, be careful, church. Be careful to isolate yourselves and condemn the rest of the world because, hey, we're a bunch of sinners ourselves. This is a room full of sinners. Thank God. By the way, when we start to become all perfect in this room, then we can just check out. We're done. But as long as you see us having church here every Sunday, that means we're all still sinners. That means we're all still messed up. By the way, there's nobody else I want to hang out with. I want to hang out with you because I myself am a sinner and am messed up. We need, we need the gospel. We need the good news. But we also need humility and to to remember that we too are sinners. Let us not isolate and separate ourselves from the world. Let our hearts be soft and compassionate, but always being humble. Always saying, okay, before I go and have a talk with my friend about his sin, let me take inventory first. Let me check and make sure, what do I got going on in my life, right? Before I go and help my brother take the speck out of his eye, let me get this giant log out of mine first and set it down. Kindness, you guys. Kindness is what turns people away from sin. It is the Lord's kindness. It is when we show compassion. It is when we say, hey, I know you're broken. I'm broken too. Come along. Come along. All right, verse 5. But, and by the way, Paul's still, man, it's not getting good yet. I'm going to be very, very honest with you. He's still coming hard, all right? Hold on. Hold on, please. Like a roller coaster, hold on. But because you are stubborn and refuse to turn from your sin, you are storing up terrible punishment for yourself. For a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He, he, he being God, will judge everyone according to what they have done. He will give eternal life to those who keep on doing good, seeking after the glory and honor and immortality that God offers. But, but he will pour out his anger and wrath on those who live for themselves who refuse to obey the truth and instead live lives of wickedness. There will be trouble and calamity for anyone who keeps on doing what is evil, for the Jew first and also for the Gentile, all of y'all. But there will be glory and honor and peace from God for all who do good, for the Jew first and also for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. God does not show favoritism, you guys. Pastor Matthew does not get a free ride because he's got the word pastor in front of his name. How dare I ever, ever assume that or ever think that? There it was, and I'm not going to name his name because you, you all know him, but there was a great televangelist. 
And he was actually interviewed after a, a very public fall from grace. And they interviewed him and they said, how? You were on top of the world. You were one of the biggest televangelists. I mean, you, you were wealthy. You were this. You know what his answer was? He was so honest. And I'm, by the way, I'm glad he was honest. He thought he was untouchable, he said. He thought he could sin and God would give him a pass. That was what he said. He said, I thought I could do whatever I wanted. I thought I was literally holier than thou. But what is that? That's pride. That's pride. I'm better. Jesus says, uh-uh. Paul even says it, uh-uh. God does not show favoritism. It does not matter who you are. It does not matter where you came from. It does not matter what your background is. Here's the word, you guys. If we keep on sinning and we don't give it up to God, there is judgment, not from me, not from the church, but there will be a day of judgment, Paul says. When God comes back, or on that day that you breathe your last, you will have to face your creator for every single thing you say and do. Every single, every single thing is being accounted for, is being written down. And if we continue to go on and continue to act like my stuff don't stink and continue to say I can do and I can get to God however I want and I'm not going to deal with this sin in my life, that I'm just going to keep on and I'm just going to keep on and I'm going to keep on and I'm fine. And as you can see, nothing's happened to me yet. God hasn't smote me yet, right? He hasn't thrown down that, that lightning bolt on me yet. But Paul says, hang on, may not be now, but it's coming. There will be a day of reckoning. There will be a day that you will be held accountable. But, there is a but in there. But, Paul says, but if you believe in Jesus Christ, if you do good, if you say no, you know what? I am a sinner. If you humble yourself, that day of judgment won't turn into a day of judgment. It will turn into God pouring out his grace and his love and his mercy upon you. You guys, as a church, it's not our, our job to judge each other's. It is our job to teach the truth. It is our job to hold each other accountable to that truth, to remind, hey, remember what the word of God says. Hey, remember what the word of God says. But woe to you, woe to you who think you can go on and just live in that sin Verse 12, verse 12. When the Gentiles sin, they will be destroyed, even though they never had God's written law. And the Jews who do have God's law will be judged by that law when they fail to obey it. For merely listening to the law doesn't make us right with God. It is obeying the law that makes us right in his sight. Even Gentiles do not have God's written law show that they know in his law when they instinctively obey it, even without having heard it. They demonstrate that God's law is written in their hearts for uh, their own conscience and thoughts either accuse them or tell them that they are doing right. And this is the message I proclaim, 
that the day is coming when God, through Christ Jesus, will judge everyone's secrets. Paul is saying, listen, for those of you who are like, what about the guy in Africa who's never heard of the gospel? What about him? Paul says, don't worry about him. Because in everyone's heart, there is an opportunity to choose good and evil. That even those who don't even know or understand the law, that if they choose to do what is right in their own heart, if they say, you know what, there's just something that's telling me that murder is bad, that I shouldn't kill my, you know. And by the way, let's stay on that topic. We live in a country where murder is a crime, and yet murder still exists, which means people choose to disobey the law. But yet if you, let's say we go in the, 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 the jungles of, of Africa where, where maybe you know, no uh, you know, white person or no you know, anybody else from another culture is infiltrated and has never even brought in them the gospel, but they say, you know what, murder is still bad. God is saying, it's in their hearts. God is saying, I still honor that because you who know the law still break it. You who've been told murder is bad still break it. You who've been told you know, not just listening to God's laws, but obeying it. You guys, obedience. I'm going to be very honest with you. Sometimes I don't feel like it. Okay? When I get cut off on the 91 freeway, when I am in the fast lane going fast, and some guy comes all the way over and sits right in front of me and decides to go 55 miles an hour. I want to lose my salvation. I want to curse that person. And I, in my mind, I want to kill them. You guys, it's not simply knowing the laws. It's not simply knowing what's right or wrong. It's being obedient to them. It's being obedient. I don't feel like being a good Christian every day. I don't. There's many times that I see people and I just want to pop them in the face. <laughs> being an idiot. You are being an idiot. But to be honest with you, if we were really real and every time I messed up or every time I did something that deserved a pop in the face, I would be black and blue all the time. All the time. That's what grace is. That's what grace is. Listen, everything you guys will be brought to light. Everything that we do will be brought to light. By the way, we are living in a time and it's kind of crazy. We are, everything that's been hidden in darkness, all these sins of all these people, whether they be political, whether they be. Um, uh, famous people, whether they be, you know, CEOs of companies, it doesn't matter. Stuff's coming out. People's lives and sin is being exposed, right? That should be a warning to you, okay, that God's not messing around, that he's saying, listen, you guys, if I can you know, take Mr. CEO or Mr. Famous Person and I can expose all of their sin all over the nightly news, just know everything will come to light. Everything that you do in darkness, everything that you do in secret, everything that you do in the privacy of your own room will eventually come out. 
So you have a choice. You can do it on your terms, which is bringing your sins and laying them before the Lord and said, Lord, here are my sins. Forgive me. Heal me. Or if you wait too long, it'll be on God's terms. And it could be public. Do not wait for the latter. You bring your sins to the Lord. Because then what you're bringing to light will be dealt with in the privacy of that moment or in the privacy of a couple people. All right, Romans 3. I have 10 minutes, you guys. I have 10 minutes to get through Romans 3. And we're not even going to do the whole Romans 3. That's a big one. All right, Romans 3. Okay, here we go. Verse 9. We're going to jump to verse 9. Well then, should we conclude that we Jews are better than others? No, not at all. For we have already shown that all people, whether Jews or Gentiles, are under the power of sin. Paul quotes a psalm here. As the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. Their talk is foul, like the stench from an open grave. Their tongues are filled with lies. Snake venom drips from their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. They rush to commit murder. Destruction and misery always follow them. They don't know where to find peace. They have no fear of God at all. Does that not sound like the world, you guys, we live in? Does that not just sound like the world we live in right now? Once again, Paul's making it clear that we're all sinners, you guys. Doesn't matter whether we're Jew or Gentile or Christian or what, non-Christian or whatnot. That just because you go to church does not make you a Christian. And I'm going to quote the great late Keith Green, just because you go to McDonald's does not make you a hamburger. We have to obey the law. We have to obey what God has asked us to do. Verse 19. Obviously, the law applies to whom it was given for its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty before God. No one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. Okay, let me address this situation because I just found out there is a denomination, there is a denomination that has decided they have actually made a ruling that they are throwing out the entire Old Testament and they're saying it's irrelevant. I cannot believe it. I cannot believe it. Paul addresses this. He says, wait a minute. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. We need the law, you guys. We don't throw it away. We're not throwing away the Old Testament. We need the Old Testament as a barometer. We need the Old Testament as a line that says, wait a minute, we can't cross that line. And by the way, we all cross it. But we still need to know where the line is. We still need to know what God says. You guys, over here, this is sin. This is sin over here. We need to know it. All right, jumping back, finishing off verse 20. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. Christ took our punishment. But now, guess what, you guys? The good news. You guys ready for the good news? Come on, you guys, you suffer through the, good, the bad stuff, so here we go. It's going to get better. The light, the light at the end of the tunnel, literally. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. 
We are made right with God by placing, here it is, you guys, by placing our faith in Christ Jesus. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone is sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, with undeserved kindness, declares that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe, there's that word again, believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in past times. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just. And he declares sinners to be right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. Can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No, because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It's based on faith. So we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. You guys, why does God save us through faith alone? Why is this the one religion where you don't, where I, you don't have to, hey, go do this, go do this, go do this, and come back, and then maybe you'll qualify to be a part of our little religion here? Okay, go shave your head and wear a, a scarf and chant and do all these things. You know, why is it that this is the one, you know, religion uh, that just says, hey, all you have to do is believe. All you have to do is acknowledge that you're a sinner. All you have to do is acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the son of God and that he died for you. Why is it that simple? I believe I have some answers for you. Why does God Save us through faith alone. One, faith eliminates the pride of human effort because faith is not a deed that we do. Faith eliminates the pride of human effort. That way you can't say, look at me. Look what I did. Look how good I am. I went to church all four times this month. We can't do that. That doesn't make you a better Christian than somebody else. Number two, faith exalts what God has done, not what we have done. Faith exalts what God has done. You see, faith turns it off of us and doesn't make it about us, and it makes it about God. Again, that's why God saved us through faith. Number three, faith admits that we can't keep the law or measure up to God's standards. We need help. Faith says, I can't do this on my own. I need help. And if there is anybody in this room that says, I got this, you are gravely wrong. We all need a savior Every single one of us. And number four, why does God save us through faith alone? Faith is based 
on our relationship with God, not our performance for God. Faith is based on my relationship with him, not my performance. And can I tell you, so easily I slip into, God, did I do good this Sunday? God, had I read enough of the Bible this week? God, did I pray enough for you, God? God, did I do, you know, God, look at me, look what I did. God says, Matthew, it's not our relationship isn't about that. That is good that you do good, but I don't love you any less because you don't. I love you just as much, just because you're my son, just because you're my daughter. That's it. That's it. That is what faith is. Faith is based on our relationship with God, not our performance for God. All right, here he is, home stretch. After all, verse 29, after all, is God the God of the Jews only? Isn't he also the God of the Gentiles? Of course he is. There is only one God. He makes people right with himself only by what? Faith, whether they are Jews or Gentiles. Well then, if we emphasize faith, does this mean that we can forget about the law? Of course not. In fact, only when we have faith do we truly fulfill the law. You guys, living by the law or rules alone will not save us. We have to have faith. We have to believe that Jesus has come that he saved us from that. We need the law. Paul is saying it. Listen, let's not disregard the rules. There is still chaos without the rules. We need the rules so that we know, okay, this is the line. But when we fall or when we cross over it, that we know that Jesus saves. That we know he comes and he reaches back over and he says, get back over here. That we know that we are saved. Not by works, you guys. Not by anything that you do, but by faith alone. But Paul says still, go out there and do good, though. Go out there and obey. Go out there and live a life as though you're saved. And show people. Let them see. Let them see. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? It's appropriate that we took communion today because that is the good news, that Jesus Christ paid the ultimate price, that Jesus Christ died on a cross for our sins, that his blood was shed, that his body was broken. For you, for all of us, for every single one of us, there is no one in this room that is greater than another. I am not any better. I am just like Paul, chief of sinners. I'm the worst of all of you. And yet I'm still saved. And yet God still uses me, broken and all, human. But every day, every morning, I lay down my life before the Lord and I say, use me, forgive me. Lord, show me anything in me that is not right. Cleanse me, make me whole. 
God, make me more like your son. I want to ask this question. If there is anyone in this room and you have never, ever given your life completely over to the Lord, you have never said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God and I believe that he has died and I believe that he rose again and I believe that he forgives me of my sin and if you would say I want to believe today I believe today I want to become a follower of Jesus Christ I want to be forgiven I don't want to live under the law anymore I want to live by faith and you would say today is the day will you simply raise your hand so that I can see in this one moment together today is the day Today is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Today is the day of salvation. Father God, thank you for your love for us. Thank you that you died on a cross for our sins. And listen, just where you're at, and by the way, this is something that we should just be taking inventory every day. But say... I pray this prayer, and I want to encourage you to pray this same prayer as often as possible. Holy Spirit, convict me of my sins. Holy Spirit, show me what is not of you in my life. Holy Spirit, cleanse me of all my unrighteousness. Heal me from my sin. Jesus, you have already forgiven me. I receive your forgiveness. But help me to live in obedience to you. Help me to be an example that when people see me, they see you, Jesus. Jesus says your sins are forgiven you. Your sins are forgiven. You are healed. In Jesus' name, receive that today. Receive that today. But here's the thing, believe it. Because Jesus did say this to one woman that he spoke with about her sin. He said, go and sin no more. Don't go back there. Don't go back to that thing that ensnares you. Go and sin no more. Chris, will you come on up? Father God, thank you for this day together. Thank you for this time. Lord, may we be encouraged by Paul's words, not condemned by them. May we be hopeful in the future, not looking at the past, not looking at all of our mistakes, not looking at all of our sin. But may we take Paul's words to heart. May we imprint them on our hearts. May we take them wherever we go and not forget them. The bad news is, is that sin is real. But the good news in is that Jesus conquered sin for you and that you are saved and that you are forgiven. Amen? Amen. Will you stand with me? Can we just sing?